Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have uh, Dr. Lewis Follow. He's a professor and chairman. Uh, He's at the University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine, and he's working on a a new method of vaccine delivery, which appears to be a patch that has a microneedle array, which sounds really innovative and and interesting, and we're going to discuss that. And now at a time, you know, of uh, SARS-CoV-2, everyone's looking for a vaccine, uh, a new delivery method. It'd be very interesting for this and other vaccines. So, Lewis, thanks for coming. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, tell me a little, a little bit about your background. And uh, Sure. So uh, I am a dermatologist and an immunologist. Um, I uh, did my underwork, undergraduate work at the University of Pittsburgh. Um, and then I, when I went into medical school I, at Harvard, I developed an interest uh, both in science and uh, in medicine. Um, with a particular uh, interest in immunology. And so during my time there, I decided to spend some dedicated effort uh, developing uh, skills and expertise in immunology and did a PhD uh, in immunology. Um, And my focus uh, gradually uh, united both my clinical interests and my scientific interests um, as I became uh, very focused on uh, the immunology of the skin in particular. Okay. At what point did you conceive of a uh, delivery mechanism using this microneedle array? Like, like, you know, was that project your conception or is it a project you joined? Yeah, so so the idea of, first of all, uh, delivering vaccines to the skin um, is not a new idea, but it's very rarely used. As you know, most vaccines uh, are delivered with a needle injection into muscle in the upper arm. Um, what most people don't uh, realize, I think, is that the first vaccine, which was one of the most, vac- uh, uh, most effective vaccines ever, was the smallpox vaccine. And that was actually developed in the late 1700s and was a skin vaccine. So for smallpox, uh, what was actually done was small amounts of the virus was actually uh, placed onto the skin in the form of a droplet. And then they uh, used a needle to actually scratch that virus into the skin. So to make uh, get through the outer layer of the skin and to deliver that virus directly into the skin. And that turned out to be extremely effective effective, um, not just locally in the skin, but systemically. So it gave a good antibody response that was able to protect people, including their respiratory tract, um, from contracting the virus. And so because that that approach was not particularly reproducible, left a scar, was inconvenient, um, it gradually faded away and we went into the uh, intramuscular delivery uh, mode. Um, What I think is is very interesting is, you know, the skin is incredibly immunogenic. It's actually, um, if you think about it, the first line of defense. And so uh, through evolution, you know, it's been designed uh, to be very effective in mounting defenses against invaders. So your skin is constantly exposed to viruses, bacteria, other harmful invaders. 
Um, and because of that, it's become very efficient at mounting immune responses to these organisms. So the skin can very quickly adapt to the environment, and, can, and it contains a really high density of uh, what we call antigen-presenting cells, which are the professional antibody response uh, creators uh, of the immune system. Um, and, and these cells actually crawl around in the skin as sort of as sentinels or scouts. And what they do is they capture uh, pieces of foreign invaders and then take that into the lymph nodes and program a systemic immune response. And so our idea was to try to figure out a way to deliver antigen effectively into skin um, that was reproducible, that was safe, um, and that was actually convenient so that it could be used uh, for global immunization strategies. And so that's how we came up right. with the concept of microneedle arrays. So when you, um, when you say you're delivering to the skin, I mean, there are microneedles that are going through certain layers of the skin. So, uh, you know, just as a refresher, how many layers are there of skin and which would be a preferential layer to inject um, you know, a vaccine, for instance, or is it at multiple layers? Right. So, so the skin has three major layers. Um, there's a stratum corneum, which is essentially dead cells uh, that really acts as a physical shield or a physical barrier. Uh, right underneath that is the epidermis, which contains some of these uh, powerful antigen-presenting cells, and then a dermis, which contains um, both antigen-presenting cells and a host of other cells, mast cells, uh, T cells, uh, other uh, uh, what, what we call accessory cells that help develop an immune response. And so the microneedle arrays that we developed have microneedles that are uh, obviously very small, micro scale. Um, you can uh, kind of imagine them as being about the width of a human hair, and they're a little more than a half a millimeter in length. And so these needles uh, penetrate the outer layer of the stratum corneum of the skin and then enter into the epidermis in the upper layers of the dermis. Now, what's, what's neat about these microneedles are there, is that they're entirely dissolvable. And so the needles themselves are made out of a sugar. Um, and we integrate the target that we want to immunize against, which in this case is a protein from the uh, SARS-CoV-2 virus. Um, and that protein subunit is part of the needle. When the needle uh, is solid, um, it's very sharp, very hard, and can easily enter the skin. Once it's in the skin, it hydrates very quickly, and the sugars dissolve and release the antigen into these upper layers of the skin, um, which initiates the immune response. And so it's a very targeted system um, for delivering antigen very specifically to a microenvironment within the skin. So is the needle itself... Um it's the entire needle itself, the body of it is composed of the uh, the antigen of the vaccine component? Yes. So so the, the needle is actually the vaccine. So the entire uh, body of the needle is made out of sugar and the protein antigen. Um, and then there's a backing behind that uh, where you basically uh, it, it, think of it as working like a Band-Aid. Um, so you basically apply the patch um, with some gentle pressure that can be done uh, with, with your thumb. Um, and that's enough for these needles to actually enter into the skin and then start to absorb, absorb moisture and dissolve. Um, so you can imagine this could, uh, in theory, be a vaccine that um, everyone could apply to themselves. Uh, it could be shipped. 
one of the features of the vaccine is that once this protein is incorporated into these microneedles, um, it becomes incredibly stable. And so unlike most vaccines, which need to be refrigerated or frozen from when they're made until when they're injected, uh, these microneedle array vaccines are stable enough to be uh, stored and shipped uh, just like Band-Aids. And so for global immunization campaigns, this could be uh, a major benefit. You know, what's interesting, too, is that the, um, the vaccine component literally is fixed in space. So I would think that would make the immune response more effective because uh, the signaling that goes on to attract you know, our immune cells can go to a localized place over and over and over, and they can build up in this localized place because it's not moving around. So I would think yep. that this is a nice be beacon for the immune system or multiple beacons. So, so that's, that's exactly right. And so this is a very localized delivery system um, where all of the, the, the cargo that you're delivering is kept within a very confined space. Um, part of the advantage of this approach is that unlike needles where you're, at, you're literally using force to push a fluid, um, which causes that fluid to kind of go right through the skin um, and into the extracellular spaces, this is a more gradual method. And so the deposit doesn't have this hydrostatic pressure and is able to stay um, in the areas where the needles dissolve. And as you said, that, that stimulates the local immune response, which then calls in uh, more immune cells and more antigen-presenting cells into that area. So essentially, you've got a little uh, immunization factory going there in a micro space within your skin. I guess depending on the number of needles, you could probably, uh, I guess I'll call it titrate the immune response. You, know, you, you could start, let's say, with a patch with a few needles. Maybe add a secondary mm -hmm. patch at a, at a certain period of time where the immune system gets going and then you present more of the antigen for it to, uh, to work on. So yeah, you can, again, titrate the amount of, uh, of vaccine presented. Uh, that's ex that's exactly right. So so you can very finely control the amount of vaccine presented, and it, it's important that there are much lower levels of vaccine needed with this approach than with traditional approaches where you, where you're injecting into muscle, and that's because of the concentration effect of having all that antigen in one place. Um, you can, as, as you suggested, you could send out um, both your initial immunization and your booster dose um, in the same package in the mail, or you could pick it up at your drugstore and you would have uh, both of those and the instructions would be to apply one now and then in four weeks later, uh, apply a second Band-Aid for your second dose of Imogen. I suspect that in the future, we'll actually be able to uh, incorporate timed release formulations within the same microneedle array so that uh, we deliver, uh, when we put a patch on, we deliver an initial uh, burst dose and then also uh, a formulation which would stay in the skin and not release for some period of time and then at some point afterwards release so that you could actually get both doses in the same microneedle array. I guess you could have like a, a gobstopper effect too, where the outer layer gets worn away, it reveals an inner layer with a different type of antigen that would, uh, you know, then it's the body's able to work on that one too. I mean, you could do a lot of things. 
Yeah, so 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 that's one of the advantages of the technology. And so in addition to putting in an antigen, you could also put in what we call an adjuvant, which is a nonspecific immune stimulant. So you could uh, boost the effectiveness of your vaccine by including an adjuvant with that same antigen. And again, the important point there is that you can use very low levels of adjuvant. So one of the problems with adjuvants and the reason there aren't in the clinic yet um, to any large degree is that they are nonspecific immune stimulants. And there's a concern that if you uh, put an antigen, uh, an adjuvant systemically, um, you would have off-target effects that might lead to autoimmune effects or fevers that, that you know, would obviously be undesirable, um, basically nonspecific immunity. Um, that risk is greatly reduced by using extremely small doses and keeping them localized to the skin. So um, combination agents are, are definitely a possibility, and um, you could even imagine uh, getting multiple immunizations uh, within the same patch. So your next flu vaccine could also be a vaccine against coronavirus at the same time. The, um, the needles themselves, the microneedles, do they get passivated by the immune function of the body? and cover it up or like how do they work to make sure that they're they, they a useful life yeah so the so the needles themselves are completely inert so they're made out of a very simple sugar and they actually completely dissolve and that you know that sugar once it's solubilized just uh ends up in the interstitial fluid and gets carried away so the 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 substrate of the needle itself doesn't have any activity the activity is in whatever cargo you choose to deliver and you know it, these these needles um are already in clinical use and so uh our group um has uh is involved in actually two clinical trials um both of them are actually focused on skin cancer and so in those applications for example uh we actually deliver a chemotherapeutic agent directly to skin cancers in patients um and we localize that chemotherapy to that specific skin cancer and then we deliver it in such low doses that it doesn't have all the adverse effects that you see with systemic chemotherapies um that are used for several other types of cancer um so so that gives us hope not just for the vaccine application but also for the cancer application and I think that um, so far we've shown that uh, this microneedle technology in general um, is safe and is effective in delivering cargos uh, in patients. Is anyone contemplating using the um, a microneedle patch uh, in conjunction with surgery? Let's say you have to work on you know a given organ, you know the liver. Could you open the person up and put in a patch itself onto the surface of the liver, so it would act locally, but you couldn't normally get to it through the skin. Right. Yeah. So, so the same. So, so exactly that concept um, is something that's under development. And so, whether that's a patch or the same substances of a patch that is deposited by a needle um, that's able to get into the liver without actually opening a patient up, um, you know, the, the same concept of having something which is in a substrate that is solid and able to penetrate so that it reaches the target um, and then dissolves and releases its cargo is. Is, is something that's that's definitely of interest uh, to several groups right now um, as, as a new way uh, to deliver drugs to very specifically to different organs within the body. Yeah, this is really interesting. Uh, are there any um, patches that are being developed that uh, they'll act as a scaffolding for uh, you know for tissue to grow, or they just have a specific geometry that like, like um, 
was the geometry of this micro needle array that had to be played with a lot that you have to have certain spacing and depth and number etc to make it effective yeah so if you can so so that that's actually a terrific point and so um, when we started down this path, we were we were sure to optimize uh, both the needle geometries and the geometries of how the needles are arranged on the patch for penetration into human skin. So if you can imagine, um, the bed of nails effect works against you. So if you have your needles spaced too closely, if they're not sharp enough, um, you you get a lot of there's a lot of elasticity in the skin, and you just end up pushing the skin down rather than puncturing the skin. Um, and so uh, you have forces working against you there in that the thinner and sharper that a needle is, the less volume it has that you can deliver. Um, on the other hand, as the needles become thicker and, and of different geometries, um, they're, they're more difficult. Uh, it's more difficult for them to penetrate into skin. And so we basically uh, now are using two types of geometries. One is an obelisk shape. So think the Washington Monument, um, which has a very sharp sharp tip and yet uh, has, a, has a tapered body so that it's able to hold considerable amount of cargo. Um, the second geometry that we uh, really enjoy now and, and uh, have high hopes for is one that's actually been enabled by 3D printing. Um, and it basically is like an arrowhead. And so if you can imagine an arrow where the tip of the arrow uh, is very sharp and contains your cargo and the shaft of the arrow is made to dissolve very quickly, um, you can basically, once you, once you apply pressure, the arrows, the arrowheads will penetrate into the skin, the shafts will quickly dissolve, and the arrowheads will remain in place in the skin where they can be a depot for uh, drug release. Um, the same type of technology has been used uh, and is under development for wound healing, for example, um, so that you can create a, a uh, scaffolding um, for uh, uh, re-epithelialization of wounds. Um, and I, you know, I, I can envision uh, several other uses uh, that could be developed in the future. Yeah, this is really cool. Do you uh, do you own all the patents on this, or uh, are you just working on? Yeah. No, we should, we sure do. So, so um, there, there's a very uh, robust patent portfolio that um, is protecting uh, microneedle design, uh, microneedle delivery, and then all, all, each of the various use applications. Um, we have spun out one company uh, for the cancer application. Uh, the name of the company is Skinject, um, and they are now in clinical trials. Um, and you know, we are we are rapidly progressing with the uh, SARS. Uh, uh, COVID-2 uh, vaccine that, that we are developing now um, and hope to have that in the clinic uh, in the not-too-distant future. When the patch is, uh, is on someone, um, you know, how long do they keep it on? And then when they remove it, do they just pull it off and it really comes off easily like a Band-Aid or what happens to it? Yeah, so think think Velcro. So it, I, I've been told it feels a little like Velcro. Um, and when you, when you uh, take the patch off, um, first of all, the patch is only on for minutes. Um, so, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes to be super sure that you've delivered everything, but realistically, probably one or two minutes is sufficient. When you take the patch off, um, the, the drug is no longer there. So all of the drug is, is loaded in the distal um, 
ends of the needles, so the part that goes into the skin first, um, and that has dissolved and is in the skin. And so all you're left with is basically uh, sugar on a Band-Aid. So there's no, uh, there, there's no harmful waste here. Um, you can just uh, throw that in the trash um, like, like any other Band-Aid. Um, and the other interesting thing is because the needles are so short, um, they don't cause any pain and there's no bleeding because they aren't long enough to reach blood vessels or nerves. And so it's a, it's a pain-free uh, immunization approach. Yeah, I've, I've worn like a, uh, a glucose, you know, continuous glucose monitor. They have a micro needle, which yours probably are thinner even, I don't know. But that one doesn't really hurt either. It's maybe like itchy for a second, but uh, there's really no pain. I- Exactly. Just just some pressure is is usually what happens. Now, it, you know, the 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 one side effect that we might see, and we haven't you know we haven't done vaccines in patients yet, but the one side effect that we might see um, is if we're very successful and we uh, induce a robust immune response, um, we might expect to see some erythema at the site over the next day or two. Um, but to us, that would be a very positive sign in that uh, the immune response in the skin was actually working, um, and I. I doubt that it would be uh, any uh, more uncomfortable than um, maybe at worst a mosquito bite. Um, uh, of the needle array, are there a few of the needles that go deeper to to trigger more of an immune response, or is it good enough that they all go to you know uh, into the epidermis, or do you have to drive any deeper? So, so the, the needles that we're using go uh, through the epidermis and into the upper dermis, um, and that's the ideal place to deposit the antigen, and so they're all the same size. Uh, the technology is incredibly flexible. We can make them as long as we, as long as we need. Um, so if there were other applications where we wanted to go deeper, um, potentially even into the fat layer underneath the skin, uh, that could be done. Um, we haven't done that yet, and I think in those use cases, you probably would see some pain and bleeding because the needles are, are longer at that point, and they're able to reach uh, some of those other structures. So the skin of anywhere in the body, does it, uh, I guess there are, there's probably multiple factors that make it a great place to cause immunization. I guess the body's used to providing an immune response to the skin. It's a huge surface area. Um, I guess the full ability of the immune system probably would be best used there because that's the spot where the most of the battles happen, I guess, on a continual basis. Exactly. Um, every day you're under attack. So uh, viruses, bacteria, other harmful invaders um, are, are trying to get to you and your skin is protecting you. And so it has this first line of defense, which is just this barrier stratum corneum that we talked about a little earlier. Um, and then after that, it has an epidermis, which is uh, 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 layers and literally looks like a brick wall of cells that we call keratinocytes, which are also very important for barrier function um, and antigen presenting cells mixed in with them. And then deeper than that are the other cell types, including different types of antigen presenting cells that are more specialized, um, as well as accessory cells like mast cells, the cells that are involved with giving you hives, for example, um, and other immune stimulators. And so um, all of these systems um, are very well-controlled networks that work together uh, to generate an immune response. And one of the remarkable things is that the immune response that, that 
is enabled through the skin um, isn't just a skin immune response. It's actually a systemic immune response because these antigen-presenting cells actually uh, are conditioned um, based on what's happening in the skin and then circulate into draining lymph nodes more centrally where they make the uh, responses of both T cells and B cells and antibodies, which then distribute throughout the body. And so, you know, it's fascinating that um, you can immunize in the skin and then find uh, specific antibodies and T cells in the lung tissue uh, against the antigen that you immunized in the skin. And that's, that's just part of what evolution has developed to protect us. Are there certain parts of the body that are more amenable? Like, is the arm a good spot or, you know, the thigh better or, you know, back in the yeah, hand? So- yeah, so so um, you know all of those spots would work. I think the the biggest issue is uh, you want to look for a non hair bearing spot or not particular, not not one that doesn't have a particular uh, large amount of hair because the hair would actually uh, create a physical barrier to the needles to some extent. Um, we're intending this to be uh, upper upper arm for a vaccine, um, pretty much in the same spot that you would get an IM uh, needle injection. However, we've already learned from our skin cancer experience that uh, this can be anywhere. Uh, skin cancers can appear every, anywhere, and, and uh, thus far, um, we've treated multiple sites, uh, face, back, uh, legs, et cetera, and uh, the microneedles uh, appear to be equally effective uh, in all those sites. So clinically, is this in use, and when will people, you think, see it uh, be used extensively clinically? Yeah, so clinically right now, it's in clinical trials, so phase one clinical trials for cancer. Um, after phase one trials, uh, as, as many of many folks have heard, uh, the, the testing process then involves phase two, which is a much larger number of patients, and then phase three, which is a very large number of patients, and, and all of these are um, assessed for safety. Um, as far as vaccine applications, uh, there have been uh, one or two uh, phase one clinical studies with different types of microneedle arrays. So it, it's starting, uh, the technology is starting to get into the clinic. Um, we would hope uh, that our uh, vaccine will be into the clinic uh, before the end of the summer. And uh, once we get started, uh, we've designed the trial to advance very quickly. So um, I, I would hope that we would be able to progress uh, through those phases um, at a fairly rapid rate, assuming that everything goes as expected and we don't see any adverse events or safety issues um, that would need to send us back to the drawing board. Is a microneedle array patch used clinically for anything right now, or is this, is this no, serious to get it's, into? Uh, yeah, no, it, it has not yet uh, been clinically approved um, for any applications um, at this point. I guess it's funny, you know, if, if the first one you do works, that'll open the door for faster adoption of any microneedle array technology or the technology used for other uh, types of interventions. But... Yeah, it's weird. Do you pick the one that you think is most likely to work so it can open the door and make the ones faster or do you pick the one most needed? Yeah, so so it's a combination of the two. So I think the I think the skin can, cancer application 
um, is an application that uh, has a very high likelihood of its success that would open the door for this technology. Um, and then obviously the vaccine application uh, efforts accelerated dramatically um, when COVID uh, hit us. Um, so we had already uh, been working on microneedle array delivery of other vaccines. So we have already had already published papers with microneedles uh, for Zika virus vaccine uh, and one of the, the SARS-CoV-2 uh, relatives, the MERS uh, vaccine. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons that we were able to so quickly uh, get the microneedle uh, uh, needle array technology uh, into the animal models uh, for SARS-CoV-2 is that we had these active vaccine projects uh, already underway. Well, very good. What do you think is the timeline? What's the window of, uh, you know, how long till this could actually be used clinically? Yeah, so um, from the from the vaccine standpoint, uh, we would hope to begin uh, clinical trials, a phase one, uh, maybe phase one slash two clinical trial by the end of the summer. Um, and then uh, the progress would really depend on how well the vaccine works. Um, and so safety is always the first and most important concern. And assuming the vaccine is safe, we'll be able to accelerate quickly through the phase one, two, and three studies. Um, if, if the vaccine is effective, obviously, um, that would be great motiva motivation, uh, not just for moving quickly through the trials, but for scaling the vaccine um, to being able to manufacture the multiple millions, if not a billion, uh, MNAs that would be needed um, for global applications of an MNA vaccine for COVID-19. Mm -hmm. Very good. Uh, Louis, what's the best way for people to find out more and keep uh, tabs on your progress? Yeah, so you can check our departmental website at the Department of Dermatology in the University of Pittsburgh. Um, we update it regularly with progress on this project, microneedle arrays in general, and the other work that's going on at the University of Pittsburgh. Well, very good. Louis, thanks for coming. This is really, really cool. I found you because of an article that came out, you know, and I'm glad that you were able to take the time to talk. So this is great. I hope it works. Yeah, thank you very much for inviting me. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.